Welcome to the Dome Dog Podcast. I'm your host, Matt DeBritz. Now, it's been a while, and not a lot's been going on, so I thought I needed a little help today talking about Syracuse. So joining me today is Neil Adler, editor inside the Loud House. What's up, Neil? How you doing, Matt? Thanks for having me, buddy. I'm doing pretty well. What went wrong for Syracuse in 2021-2022? Well, I, I would characterize the season as beautifully disappointing or beautifully frustrating. And I say beautifully because, and maybe this is the dad in me, I have a five-year-old son. I, I thought it was pretty cool to see Buddy and Jimmy play for their dad for a season. And it wasn't the season we all wanted, but it, it was fun. I mean, you know, from my perspective, not the wins and losses, but just seeing the two of them on the court together and playing for, for Jim Beheim. And he said multiple times it was the best season he's ever had. And he wasn't clearly talking about wins and losses. He was talking about coaching his two sons. And, you know, Buddy was all ACC first team. Jimmy, I thought, had a really nice, solid season. Um, what went wrong? I think the, the two main things are, one, the defense was not good. And uh, Syracuse unfortunately had a hard time closing out close games uh, you know the list and you know the list Matt you know they lost to Georgetown on the road by four they lost to Florida State by five they lost to Virginia by five they lost at Wake Forest by three in overtime they blew 18 point leads twice to Miami they lost at North Carolina in overtime and then and then the real kicker and this is just you know the the cherry on top of the the cake or whatever the cliche is they, they played Duke, a team that ends up going to the Final Four in the quarterfinals of the ACC tournament without Buddy Beheim, obviously Benny Williams, and Jesse Edwards. And it's a tie game where I think Syracuse might have even been up by one with about three minutes ago, and they lost by nine or ten. But they were just right there with so many teams, and they just couldn't close it out, whether it was the defense just kind of shutting down, guys getting tired. Uh, you know, Beheim loves to talk about how these guys are, you know, in great shape and all that. But when you're playing five and a half, six guys, I think you can get worn out. And just, you know, whether it was the defense or, you know, an untimely turnover here and there or just, you know, making shots, but then down the stretch, missing a couple shots. It, all those close games, you win a handful of them. And, you know, they're not a number one seed in the tournament, but they're over 500 in the ACC. And, maybe they could sneak into the tournament or at least get into the NIT, but instead they, you know, he loses to his good friend, coach K and it's Bayheim's first losing season in 46 years. So, you know, disappointing for sure, but I still think it was, it was a neat, neat season to watch for me as a SU alum and, and a longtime fan, but um, they just, they just couldn't close them out in the end, Matt. Popular take, um, you know, at Neil, uh, always posts his articles inside fan pages on Facebook and doesn't mind mixing it up with the fans. Um, I don't know if the fans would like that take so much. That was neat because you're a dad, you know, I'm a dad too. A lot of people are dads. They, they don't want to see the the sons playing as much. You know, I don't, I don't mind them being on the team. It's just that I think at, at points it, it may have affected the other guys. And I only say that because you bring up the Duke game where it forced Syracuse to play a whole different way. You know, they moved Gerard to the two guard, which I think is his natural position, by the way. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've Agreed. heard yep. that a million times. But, uh, <laughs> and, you know, Buddy wasn't in there and they, and Torrance was playing point guard and, you know, everyone was moving differently. And it's just kind of like, you could have made those rotations at any point in the season and still played your sons and still won some of those games. But yeah, I mean, it's just tough a lot of just right there all the whole time, especially in that last game. And I, I said that in that game was the, the turning point was when Swatter got his fourth foul and then Duke yep. made a little bit of a run there. Yep. Yep. I was, even though that it was still back and forth since then, it, it changed the game. 
But uh, so kind of switching gears a little bit, you know, we talk about Syracuse and one of their opponents, Villanova, they went to the final four and their coach, Jay Wright, just called it a career last night. Were you surprised by this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know, not not plugged into the Villanova program, but but certainly, you know, follow the team, having been a longtime Syracuse fan and, and certainly, you know, plenty of Big East battles over the years and some non-conference battles more recently, including this past year, um, to retire at 60 when he's won two titles in the last you know, handful of years, just made the final four. I, I was, but I, maybe he just wants to spend more time with his family or there's other, you know, other factors going into it, but I, you know, at 60 to retire, I was pretty shocked by that. And I saw a lot of nice sentiments, um, you know, come out last night in various, you know, articles from national outlets. And, and Jim Beheim was even quoted saying it's, you know, he's one of the best head coaches in the history of, of college basketball in the modern era. And it's a huge loss. And, and I totally agree, I, you know, between Jay Wright stepping down and, and obviously coach K and Roy Williams last year, it's, uh, you know, certainly seeing changing of the guards and uh, in terms of Villanova, I mean, what a, a class program from my perspective run the right way. Um, to my knowledge, there haven't been any NCA investigations or sanctions like at Syracuse or many other schools, um, you know, certainly good at recruiting, but I think Jay's strength is in, and, in, in, you know, the, his assistance is in player development because yeah. they don't get a ton of one and dones and they have veteran laden teams that are really good at shooting free throws and don't make a lot of turnovers are, are just well coached and disciplined and that's why they've made a lot of nice runs. Now, to be fair, he's had some regular seasons over the last decade where they were a one or two seed in the tournament and flamed out early, but that happens all the time. But he also won it in 16, won it in 18, and was in the final four this year, this past year. So he's um, got four. I mean, yeah, he's got, got four, four. And, you know, it just, um, I, w- I was shocked by it. I wish him the best. I, like, I, you know, I said to you offline, he's, um, I think he's a classy guy. I think he's a humble guy. I think he's really well dressed. Um, I missed those suits this year, but uh, I wish him well, but it, it was, it was a shock to me. As you said, guys are stepping down. Um, people are leaving. And then the most popular question in Syracuse always is what about Jim Beheim? You know, last year when I started this podcast, I talked about it a lot because it was just, it just seemed like he was just in a bad mood every game, you know, not mm-hmm. this past season, but the season where they went to the sweet 16 and, mm-hmm. you know, people kept saying, when is he going to step down? And, you know, you're like I said, you're in the fan groups and you see people, trashing him and saying mm-hmm. this and saying that. And I just kind of, I say, I, I kind of gave up that whole discussion, except now I have to bring it up because, you know, another guy has left the game who's won multiple titles, won four or been to four final fours. There's only two coaches left that have multiple championships. That's Bill Self with just one, one and Rick Patino. I mean, what do you think Beheim's thinking when he's seeing all these people just move on? Do you think he cares do you think he's in his, on his mind at all? Do you think he's just like, hey, now I can be that one guy who stayed with the program forever and ever? What is yeah. it? Fascinating topic. And I will tell you, you know, interacting with a ton of fans, which is part of my role at Inside the Lat House, and I, I love it. And we don't always agree, and I get trashed sometimes, and that's okay. <laughs> uh, the fan base, definitely this year, there was a lot of – there were some folks like me who thought it was really cool to see Buddy and Jimmy play for their dad, although – a lot of fans would say they maybe should have played fewer minutes, at least maybe Jimmy. I mean, Buddy's first team all ACC. Um, but there's certainly a contingent of fans that are ready for uh, Jim Beheim to ride off into the sunset. And I get it. 
since they joined the ACC, they've been a kind of middle of the pack team in regular seasons, except for that first year when I think they finished second. But yep. they've obviously made a couple of Sweet 16 runs and a Final Four run that maybe mask it in some people's minds. Um, does Jim Beheim care about Coach K and Jay Wright and Roy Williams' step? I mean, I'm sure he thinks about it. And I think some of those guys, especially Coach K, are, are dear friends of his. But I think he's just going to do what he, he wants to do. And he said a gazillion times uh, that he feels great, that he's not the one running up and down during practices. He's in good health and that he's going to, you know, coach until he just doesn't want to do it anymore. And, and, you know, they did, he did announce, I think it was on Brent Axe's show earlier this year that, or not too long ago that, you know, there's a succession plan in place. He knows when he will retire. Of course, he's not telling anyone that. And it's just a fascinating topic. Me personally, and I am not in Jim Beheim's inner circle, he clearly is going to coach next year because they have a really awesome 2022 class coming in with Judah Mintz just recently committing to make it six, six deep. Uh, he'll obviously coach this coming year. Uh, beyond that, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he hangs it up after this year. And it wouldn't surprise me if he coaches a couple more years. I, you know, it, it just, for me, the fascinating thing is if they have a succession plan in place and they know who the next coach is, assuming they know who the is it Austria or McNamara or is it someone outside the program? I'd like to think, given what the comments have been made, it's someone inside the program, but it's the $25 million question. I think my gut tells me that this might be his last year, especially if they have a nice season and a nice season doesn't necessarily mean a national championship or a final four run, but you know, a, a solid regular season, get into the tournament, maybe make the sweet 16. I could see him hanging it up. Absolutely. There was a succession plan in place before with Mike Hopkins when I was sure. sanctions and see that one out the window. And it's, sure. it's like the thing with succession plans in college basketball, I mean, I'm saying I don't buy them, but it's just like that coach, whoever it is in waiting could say, no, nah, I'm going to go somewhere else like Hopkins did. Yeah. Or, it's a, you have to have some skepticism, just like when guys, high school prospects give verbal commitments, you have to have and, Till they sign on the dotted, even after they sign on the dotted line with, you know, their national letter intent, if there's a head coaching change in the portal and everything else, who knows these days? I, I totally agree with you, Matt. It's so, it's so day to day and everything. Yeah. I mean, everything we do these days about, you know, things change so much so fast, but I, I don't, like I said, I, I, I like to ask other people about it just because I want their take, but <laughs> I've given up trying to figure it out. I just think that he's one of those guys that will just drop it one day and be like, you know what? I'm done with this. But, I mean, let's talk about – you yeah. mentioned recruiting and the guys coming in. You know, Beheim said this is the best recruiting class he's ever had, and I, I kind of shrugged my shoulders at that and say, I don't think so. I mean, what about the time when uh, Syracuse had Stevie Thompson come in and Derek Coleman come in at the same time? Uh, you know, was Matt DeMera and, and Carmelo at the same time, mm -hmm. even though there was only two guys, not six? What, what about this recruiting class do you think – why do you think he says that? Well, you know, sometimes Jim Beheim just likes to say things because he's Jim Beheim. Um, I don't think that he said when he said it's the best class we've ever had, he was necessarily saying it's like the highest ranked class in terms of the recruiting services and all that jazz. I think he just or maybe it's just my take. I, what I like about this class is that it's it just seems like there's guys on within this class that already have chemistry because they play together on the AAU circuit or even two of the guys this past year at the IMG Academy. So there's like chemistry there. And some of them know Benny Williams have worked out with Benny Williams. And also it's six deep. They cover every position. 
you know, putting aside the portal and all that, if they all stay on the Hill, I think a lot of them could be multi-year guys, not necessarily one and dones. So I just think it's it like the long-term promise potential is there. Um, it's not the highest rated Syracuse class ever. Um, it's not even the highest rated class over the last, you know, 10 years, but it's good. It's a good class. I mean, I think right now I had a story the other day, although uh, rivals had them at number seven nationally, but they did just update their 2022 rankings yesterday for players. So that might change the class ranking, but it's top 15, 247 sports, yada, yada, yada. And again, you know, with Judah Mintz, who is a just came in yesterday at number 33 in the final ESPN 100 and is a top 10 shooting guard, you, you add him into the mix with, you know, a couple of four stars and a couple of three stars. And the two three stars, I think, are underrated. Uh, Malik Brown out of the Blue Ridge School in Virginia was yeah. one of the players of the year in Virginia. And he just doesn't get the national exposure of, of other teams because, you know, where he plays uh, in the conference they play in. But he had a terrific year and he's just a tremendous defensive presence, great rebounder. And got the inside Perry. track on him, actually, because my nephew actually plays, played against him in the state championship. Yes. He, he says, though, he says that uh, while, yes, he's a, definitely a force, he says that he generates a lot of his offense off of rebounds and steals. Like, sure. he's not a face-up guy, which sure. I think fits Syracuse right now. That, that's something that actually need. They don't need someone that's trying to take guys one-on-one. They need someone that can score – without plays getting called for them, I think. You know, that's kind of the problem with some of the guys on the team, you know, Mm -hmm. this last season, right? Everyone was shooting. Everyone averaged double figures, but, you know, then where does the ball go when we need a basket, you know? So I I like guys like that sometimes as coming in and they can kind of develop, you know. uh, Roberson is kind of a a good comparison. I don't Mm -hmm. remember Tyler Roberson. Oh, yeah. Kind of, He just kind of just did his job and, you know, he kind of this last season was put out to pasture a little bit, which was – Sure. Hey, listen, he had 20 rebounds in a – crazy dunk if memory serves correct when they won at duke by two points a bunch of years ago and yeah yeah i agree with you about brown and peter carey who's a a three-star prospect and he was injured for for part of this past year but he played at the northfield mount herman school in massachusetts i think he's underrated on a national scale it'll be interesting to see if any of those guys redshirt um you know it's going to be a young team next year seven of the 12 guys on the current roster are underclassmen but there's a lot of talent, a lot of potential, um, but we'll just have to see how all the pieces fit together because you've got all these young guys, but then you've got a nice um, veteran core group with Gerard and Torrance um, and Jesse Edwards, assuming, you know, hopefully he comes back at full strength. So uh, I think they're going to be better than this past year because I think they're going to be better on defense, but, you know, there could be some growing pains as well. Yeah, so just looking at the guys coming in, Judah Mintz, obviously one's been talked about the most, Chris Bunch, mm-hmm. another one who mm-hmm. – Small forward, six seven. Justin Taylor, six foot six. Um, Quadri Copeland, another kind of co- combo guard. We just talked mm-hmm. about Brown, and you talked about Peter Carey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's a whole squad. And mm-hmm. the thing is, you know, Neil <laughs> Beheim doesn't play deep teams, but yep. he's like you said, he says a lot of things. You know, he says yep. he, he even says it. Don't don't pay attention to what I said two years ago. Well, so that's what we do. You know, <laughs> of course we do. But, um, you know, he said we might play man-to-man more next year because we'll have more athletic guys. We right. might go deeper. But, I mean, going deeper, I just – I don't see it. But I just – I wonder how these guys going to all stick around, like you just said, with all yeah. the men – sure. with all the guys that are going to be back. And there's not going to be a ton of minutes. 
Agreed. Agreed. Uh, you know, he's certainly in recent years played five and a half or six guys. Could that be extended to seven to nine, especially early in the season, non-conference, et cetera? Yeah. But ultimately, as you get further into ACC play, does he whittle that back down? Probably. Um, you know, he's played some deeper team, you know, deeper rotations in the past. I mean, I remember that 2011, 12 team that went 30 and one in the regular season and then lost to Ohio state in the lead eight. And obviously Fab Mello was ineligible for postseason play, which, which was unfortunate and may he rest in peace. Um, but they played pretty, I, I don't remember how many guys averaged above 10 minutes, but it was a pretty deep rotation. I, I totally agree with you, Matt. I, I think this class is coming in as promising and it's a nice mix of, you know, senior guys as well as the underclassmen, but does anyone redshirt? Does where do the minutes go? You know, Beheim said not too long ago, oh, a couple of the 2022 um, incoming freshmen are going to start. Who's that going to be? I mean, is I'm just so fascinated with what the rotation is going to be. You know, Gerard, I'd love to, to your point, love to see play the two guard, but is Simir Torrance going to start a point, or is Judah Mintz going to start a point? Judah Mintz is a combo guard. I've read reports from analysts that. Maybe he's a little more suited for the off guard, but he's serviceable at point guard. You know, we'll see Bunch and Taylor are both. Well, Bunch uh, is more of a small forward. I feel like Taylor was recruited in part maybe to be a replacement for Buddy at the two. But I think, you know, given his size can play small forward as well. Are they competing for minutes? Does just Copeland, I don't see getting a ton. I really like Copeland's potential, you know, down the road, he's six, six as a combo guard, point guard, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't think he's a, an amazing shooter, but just good um, court vision, athletic, just gets into the lane, um, can make big plays, but I don't know how much time he's going to see. And then, yeah, the two big men, Kerry and Brown, I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. Well, you know, what do you think the starting five will be next year? I, I thought maybe, you know, I was, I was kind of hoping Swider was going to come back just for the fact yeah, that me too. I, thought he, I thought he was hitting a stride towards the end he of the was. year, figuring himself out. He was. So I was I was projecting Torrance, Gerard, Swider, Edwards, and Williams. And I think, you know, if you watch the NCAA tournament this year, a lot of the teams that went far had experienced guys. Yep. So that's why I was looking forward to that. But, you know, Swider then decides to go um, take his chances. Yeah. So who do you think – I still think those four guys will start, but who do you think that may – come in there do you think they could go three guard offense I think they could I think they could I mean one thing about Justin Taylor is is he's a shooting guard slash small four, small four you know the other thing is especially with the zone I mean small forward power four. I mean Malik Brown is a is a beefier guy uh, you know more beefier guy than like Bunch or Taylor but power forward small forward kind of interchangeable uh, if I had to say definitely Gerard whether he plays one or two the one or the two I don't know. I'm really torn between Torrance and Mintz. I mean, I think Mintz has just got lights out potential. He had a ridiculous senior year for Oak Hill. Um, but it's like, are you going to start a freshman over Torrance who, when he got into games and played, you know, ample minutes and got into his groove, he really changed the complexion of the offense. So my gut would say right now, probably Torrance starts, but it wouldn't surprise me either way. I think obviously Edwards, I think Benny Williams will start. And then it's the other Ford spot. I'm just, I, if I had to guess, I'd probably, I'd probably say Justin Taylor or Bunch. But I, I, I mean, I don't think John Bolajak, assuming he stays around and nothing, no disrespect to him, and he gets trashed on social media, and it's just like, all right, well, he's a he's a backup big man. He's he's working hard. I mean, give him a break, you know. But I, I don't see him starting. 
Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't see Peter Carey or Malik Brown star. I, I, I think, I think it could be Taylor, but yeah. maybe Punch. You know, because he looks like Buddy Beheim. A little bit. I, I think he got. I think he made comments about that when he was on either his official visit or you know visited for a game or whatever. I, I really like Taylor's game. Um, it was hard to catch a lot of their stuff because he plays on plays on the played on the post grad team, not the national team. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, top top one hundred player according to some services. Good shooter, athletic. I think he's more athletic than Buddy. Um, so we'll see. What do you, what do you think the starting five is? I I you know as I said I I just. I almost would guess in today's game go with go with a, another guard instead of maybe going traditionally mm-hmm. because if Copeland, you know, he's six foot six, but he if he could play like a combo, then he could mm-hmm. maybe he's better suited in the zone to chase people on the baseline. You know, mm-hmm. last year mm-hmm. part of the problem with Edwards or Anselm was in they just got tired out. I mean, they're going baseline to baseline, baseline to baseline, mm-hmm. baseline mm-hmm. to base. You know, you got to have somebody that's athletic on that wing. Yep. Do something. So I don't. Yep. The only guys I've seen really ton of video of is Mints, and I've seen Brown because my nephew played against him. The other sure. stuff is just can't really tell as much. But uh, you know, I, I don't. Doesn't matter to me. It could be anyone that can play defense on the side. We don't need really another score. We just need someone that can just you know make the in, intangible play, get a rebound, get a steal, move it. You know, uh, challenge those shots on the side. But a lot of people that I know that I've talked to think it's another same type of season. It's going to be an NIT season. It's going to be on the border. Uh, not the border, but the, you know, on the bubble. And I've sure. said this a few times on my podcast here. It's just how Syracuse, I think, will be in the rest of Jim Beheim's era. I think it's just the way it's, it is. I think in some senses he likes it better this way where it's not high expectations. The expectations are lower. Sure. So then, and then they, right. And then they get in the tournament and they play teams that don't know the zone. They, you know, they don't have a lot of time to prepare and they, they can knock out a few. I, I, I hear you. I, it is, I I mean, Hey, listen, I'm the first to acknowledge that other than 2013, 14 Syracuse has been really subpar in the ACC and overall, I mean, you know, not great non-conference records, but they've had a few runs and, you know, some people I interact with on social media and in chat rooms say, well, and Bayheim said this, the tournament's the only thing that matters. Yeah. I don't think it's the only thing that matters. I think it's the only thing that people remember. I think people will remember if you stink in the regular season, but then make it to the Sweet 16 or the Final Four, they'll remember that. And if you have 28 wins in the regular season and flame out and you lose in the first round to St. Peter's like Kentucky did, people are going to remember that. So you know, I think there was a lot, a lot, and this is something I've written about and talked about. When Syracuse moved to the ACC, they were moving to a different conference. Then there were the sanctions. Then Hop was going to be the coach, and then he left, and he was an ace recruiter, at least in my opinion. And then there was uncertainty about how long Jim Beheim would coach, and you had players maybe leave for the NBA early or transfer unexpectedly or get injured, stuff that other teams deal with too. It's not unique to Syracuse, but there has been a lot of factors that have gone into that. And yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice if, if Syracuse could start putting together seasons where they're at least like a top four to six team in the ACC and, you know, and getting a, you know, a, a four to uh, a one, two, three, four, five, or six seed in the tournament, not, you know, first four, that kind of thing. But I agree with you about expectations and Syracuse does seem to fare well in the tournament when they're a double digit seed, at least lately. Um, But yeah, I could, I could definitely see them kind of being a middle of the pack team in the ACC until Bam retires. But the question that I put out there, Matt, is, 
is it going to is it going to get any better when Autry's the coach or G Max the coach or whoever's going to be the? I, I don't know. We'll see. Right, and that's kind of something else. With the, you know, Syracuse hasn't got the guys, but if you look back on some of the teams that in the last few years, even though their their record weren't as great, you know, they had guys that could could take over games. I mean, Tyus Battle. Mm-hmm. You know, and now look at the guys that were around him are doing well in the NBA. I mean, make, mm-hmm. making the NBA, you know, mm-hmm. O'Shea Brissett. Oh yeah. A name for himself. He was yep. kind of, he was instrumental in that, that one run in 20, was that 2018? Yep. Yeah. yeah. They lost to Duke in the sweet 16. Yep. He was yeah. great yeah. then. And yeah. then, and Elijah Hughes, you know, he, yeah. he, he's doing stuff. And it's like, you see these guys kind of developing in the NBA and it's like, but why, <laughs> why weren't they as good at Syracuse sometimes? Yeah. Then the 2016 team that went to the final four. I mean, that team was stacked. If you look at it, I mean, uh, Richardson, you know, he, he was, uh, McDonald's all American, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tyler Lydon, you know, Roberson, you know, Benege, you know, mm-hmm. you know, those guys are good players. Cooney. And, yeah. Frank good, Howard. Yeah. He didn't play I mean, a lot that year, but yeah, no, I hear it. No, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like they didn't have players. It's just, they yeah. didn't, that 2016 team, they started off well, then they stunk during the middle part and then they right. got in and right. played really well. But it's, it's kind of the question is you think Syracuse will ever get a guy like Carmelo Anthony again? Well, uh, when you say Carmelo Anthony, do you mean Carmelo Anthony because he was like the number one or number two recruit at high school or because he led them in a national title? Are we talking about recruiting rankings and like that sort of thing? And a guy who is a top recruit, a guy who everyone knows who he is and a guy that can change, you know, can do what Melo did. Do you think Syracuse yeah. will ever get a guy like that again? I always credit Syracuse coaches, especially in recent years, as I've really covered a lot of recruiting stuff. I always credit when they offer you know, these top flight guys, that doesn't mean they're going to get them, but at least they're in the game. You can't, yeah. you know, it's so funny. you mentioned fans and anytime I write a, well, first of all, some fans don't want me to write any recruiting articles unless someone commits. It's like, until someone commits, don't write about them. And I'm like, okay, well just scroll past the article, buddy. You know, it's all good. I, I get it. Some people don't want to know about a player until they sign on the dotted line. Fine. But I mean, part of my job is, or part of what I like to do is I like to write about players that Syracuse has offered or showing interest in all that, yada, yada, yada. Um, and they've offered a ton of top flight guys and numerous classes over the years. And, and it extends out. And I've actually got an article coming out later into 2024. I, I'll have something coming out later today about some, some top flight guys. Like four, they have offered, I think three or four top 10 guys per the 247 sports composite in 2024. That doesn't mean they're going to get any of them, but can't get a guy until you offer them first. But I think, you know, and they, a lot of times in recent years, they've been like in the top 10 or top five, you know, final group for these really elite players. And they miss out to a Gonzaga or a Duke or a Carolina or Kansas or Michigan state or whoever, you know, like these other, these other programs that, you know, and especially now with NIL, maybe Syracuse needs to do more. I mean, you know, maybe that's part of it. So to answer your question, can they, can they get one of those top, you know, five guys in a class. I think they could. Is it likely based on right now? It's not super likely, but, you know, maybe the 2022 class has given them some nice momentum. And hey, listen, Benny Williams was, according to at least one recruiting service, a five-star top 25 player last year. And obviously his freshman year didn't pan out like we all wanted to, but I mean, he was their sole uh, freshman recruit and he was rated really highly and 2022 has been good. And We'll see. Uh, 2023 is really hard to gauge right now, but 
we'll see. I, I, I do think with NIL and everything else and who they're competing against, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I, I think more realistically, if they can get nice, you know, recruiting classes with a handful of guys that are, you know, top 50, top 25, great. Top 5, 10, maybe unrealistic. But then again, you know, everything changes with the portal now. Is it, is it better to really go after a freshman or sophomore who's already been playing in college and, and bring them in? I, I honestly, I usually don't pay as much attention to recruits just because same thing. Benny Williams was highly recruited and he barely got a shot, you know, and it's right. like, man, but then you see him playing against Duke and an athletic game, obviously it was a blowout and he does well. Yeah. Where do you think his head's at for next season? Benny and his lack of playing time and all the hype. And I probably was part of the hype given I would write about his recruiting rankings and all that jazz. Um, his lack of playing time was easily the most, at least for me, the most discussed topic throughout the season, other than the team just losing games. Um, you know, Jim Beheim, personally, I don't think, I think if he thought Benny could help them win more, he would have him play more. I don't think he was playing like, you know, Benny plays forward and then the two starting forwards were Jimmy Beheim and Cole Sweater. I, I think if he thought that Benny could help the team with more minutes versus playing over Jimmy or Cole, I think he would have done that. This was not a nepotism thing, in my opinion. A lot of fans would disagree. Um, where do I think Benny's head's at? I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of him personally. I, I just think he he's handled the whole situation well. There was a lot of hype for him coming in, um, a lot of stuff on message boards and, you know, all the transfer rumors, which I think were just started by a bunch of fans. But And he, like, had to dispel them numerous times, which – if that were me, I would find really annoying because it's not, and, and you know, unless it was coming from somewhere more legitimate, but um, you know, there was that one um, tweet that was out there. I can't remember if it was after the Florida state home loss where he didn't play at all. And I think that was the only game he didn't play, you know, where he was you know, available to play and he was, you know, practicing shooting, you know, yeah. by himself after, you know, just like that kind of work ethic that, that appealed to me. I, I thought that was really cool. And yes, in the Duke loss at the dome, when they got blown out, I think he had what 14 points. He had that sports center top 10 um, reverse layup and, and he showed some potential. He certainly needs, in my opinion, and I'm not a, a coach or anything like that, but I think he needs to add some arc to his jump shot, but just the potential is there. And he was playing behind two forwards, one of which was a graduate student and one of which was a senior, both of which who had, multiple years of division one experience. So, you know, should, should he have played a little more? I don't know. I was, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not there at practices seeing what Jim Beheim and the assistants were seeing. Um, I do think that he's going to have a good sophomore year. He's, he's, he, he plowed through it and I'm sure he's working his butt off and, and I, I think he's going to be a good player. I mean, is he going to be an NBA player? I, we'll, we'll have to see about that, but. Well, Giannis said he would. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I just like his mentality. I like his, he's keeping his chin up. Uh, some, as Jim Bayheim said in multiple press conferences, and he got so annoyed when people would ask about Benny Williams later in the year, he would say, yeah, if he was playing better in practice, he'd play more. And then he would also chime in with things like, well, you know, Paulo Bancaro at Duke or some of the other freshmen are playing a lot, but there's a lot of top 25, top 50 incoming freshmen this past season that play at high major, you know, top flight schools that didn't play a lot. So Benny's not unique in that regard. And he's also not the first highly touted freshman under Bayheim not to play a lot. And I even wrote about that. 
yeah. know, I'm pretty sure that waiters and Michael Carter Williams didn't play a ton as freshmen. How'd right. their sophomore years work out? <laughs> I mean, waiters was the number four pick and Michael Carter Williams was lottery pick and went to the final four. So. And he was a rookie of the year. Back right. then. I don't know what happened to him since then, but. Uh, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's another story, but <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm rooting for Benny. I think he's a good, good young man. And, and, and I think he's going to have a good sophomore year. And like I said earlier, he knows Justin Taylor. I, I'm pretty sure he knows Judah Mintz because they yeah. both played AAU in the D.C. area. There's just going to be nice chemistry. To your point, is there going to be enough minutes to go around to keep all the freshmen happy? We'll see. But um, I, I, I do see Benny playing a lot this year. So, you know, going back, you know, we were talking about transfers. We are talking about recruiting, talking with Neil Adler from Inside the Loud House. And that's kind of a thing why if Benny Williams is such a high recruit coming in and people are so high and why do you think that they had to bring in Swider I mean I like Swider and I like the way he played but Swider was a bench guy at Villanova you sure. know sure. Um, and so the fact that everyone was like he's going to be great I'm like well, what what's proven in his college career that he's going to be great you know looking at his numbers you can look at his numbers his numbers were not great at Villanova granted yes they were a, a great team and a, you know, right but, this is Syracuse. You know, you can't, this isn't like he's going from Villanova to Hofstra. This is going from Villanova to Syracuse. So yes, he earned his stripes, I think. And I think towards the end of the season, as I mentioned, he was definitely there and became one of my more favorite players. Just play. oh, yeah. He some plays hard, yeah. but he's limited. You know, he, he sure. couldn't get one shot up off the dribble. Sure. He figured out how to play within himself, but for everyone to say like, Swider is going to be great. Going to be great. Going to be great. But then you get this guy, Benny Williams coming in who everyone also thought was great. You know, was that a mistake to have Swider there instead of be just develop Benny? Because now the season's over. They didn't – Swider's not staying. They didn't make any sort of postseason tournament. Williams got hurt. And as you said, the, the rumors were swirling around Williams all the time. And it's like, was it worth it? Or was it been better to just kept Benny to just come in and see? Oh, gosh. You know, Matt, I love hindsight. It uh, gets you every time. Um <laughs> Here's what I'll say about Cole Swider. Uh, well, number one, I think it's important to note, and um, Syracuse recruited him out of prep school. So they know his, you know, that there's familiarity there. And, and Syracuse was a finalist uh, along with a couple other teams, obviously, at Villanova. His numbers weren't great at Villanova, but he obviously didn't play a ton either. Um, I, I don't remember his scoring averages off the top of my head, but I think he did at least one or two years shoot like at least 35% of, if not higher from three. It, it was, is his game limited? Yeah, I don't think he's, he's a pretty solid rebounder. I don't think he's an amazing defender and I don't think he's super athletic. And yeah, he, I don't think he creates his own shots like Bayheim wanted him to for much of the season and even said that in press conferences but he definitely had a stride towards the end of the season had some huge games um I guess to your point discussion point here so if they don't bring in Swider their two main you know they have John Bolajac but like they're I guess their two main forwards at that point are Jimmy uh Jimmy Bayheim and Benny right so would Benny start I mean Bayheim's not afraid to start freshmen i.e. you know gmac and carmelo but maybe they didn't think benny would be ready to play those kinds of minutes um yeah. I, 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 it's a it's a tricky one i think it was good that they had like a core of of multiple forwards not just two that they're relying on god forbid yeah. someone gets injured um would i have liked to seen benny get some more run yeah definitely i definitely would um if Benny played the minutes that Swider or Jimmy Beheim played, would Syracuse be 20 and 11 in the regular season versus ending up 16 and 17? 
got me, man. I, I, <laughs> like I said, they yeah, had so many close. I mean, I mean more for the, you know, you're thinking more of the future and I, long term. I, yeah. I like Swatter a lot, but the way that they brought him in saying how great he was, was just, you're setting him up to be in a hard position. So, you know, people were killing him and then they were killing him because they weren't putting Benny Williams in. I know you can't win sometimes as Turkey fans, especially. Sure, people. sure, sure, sure. But, yeah. Uh, no, like what, you know, I guess you have to also think about what is best for the team, you know, long-term it's hard to, with the way that things are these days, but, you know, I just think this whole thing has thrown a lot of college coaches for a loop. And that's why I think Roy Williams quit. Cause he was like, I can't deal with this guys are going to leave my program. And this, you know, and I've met a friend, one of my friends came on, I've talked to him at length about North Carolina. He said, that's exactly why he Roy just stepped down. He's yeah, like, I, I he, mean, couldn't, it, he couldn't handle this like change. So why, why, how come Beheim can handle this change so well? What do you think? He's, he's okay with just like, Oh, that guy's gone. I got the new guy, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, who knows what he's really thinking. I'm sure deep down, you know, he said things like, um, you know, I don't care about my record. I don't pay attention to the right. That, that's BS. I mean, <laughs> he knows that this was his first losing season in 46 years. Does he care? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. He got to coach his sons. I thought it was cool. It was the season was frustrating and it's time to move on. But yeah, with the portal and one and dones and the, and the pro options and NIL and all that stuff, as he said prior to this past season, team major, they're going to have, not just Syracuse, but teams across the country are going to have major roster makeovers every single year. I think next year they'll be more athletic. They're going to be really young. They're going to be really athletic. Um, maybe not as good three-point shooting, but maybe, maybe, maybe Syracuse doesn't need to have as much three-point shooting. Maybe they need to have some three-point shooting. You've got that with Gerard, and I think Justin Taylor is a pretty good shooter from three. And Mintz is a pretty good shooter from long range. He didn't take a ton of shots from long range uh, with Oak Hill this past year, from what I can tell, but, but good serviceable. So they have some good three point shooting, but maybe not as much, but maybe they have more drivers and they have guys that can pound the boards. And, and, and most importantly, hopefully they have guys that can make more stops on defense. You know, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see because they have so many underclassmen and obviously learning the zone and all that. We'll see how that fares, but I'd be fine with a little bit less three point shooting and, and more athleticism and better defense. <laughs> so Neil, what do you, before you go, what are you working on? You said, you mentioned you've got a couple articles coming out. What are you working on in the next couple of weeks that people can check you out on? Um, you know, it's a lot of recruiting stuff right now with Syracuse basketball. Um, you know, not, not the 2020. Well, some of the recruiting services will come out with their final rankings for 2022. So we'll always look at that stuff, but, you know, certainly looking ahead uh, to 2024 new offers going out, 2023 they've offered a ton of guys but i'm not sure who's their high priority right now a couple of guys so we'll be following that but syracuse football stuff absolutely i i'm actually pretty pumped about this coming season i think they're going to be contention for a bowl game so we'll look at that obviously as we get into the summer um Bayheim's army and the tvt and all that yeah. and you know we'll certainly do content about looking at you know games for both the football and basketball teams like previews for next year and roster projections and all that stuff. But, you know, just, um, we just like to produce content that sparks debate among other fans. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a beat reporter. I'm not necessarily breaking news per se, but we like to have throwing good opinions and just have fun debates. Definitely do that. Uh, Neil Adler inside the loud house. You can check it out inside the loud house.com. 
he doesn't mind mixing it up with you if you're a fan. So be ready. If you post something against him, he might come right back at you. <laughs> Neil, thanks for coming on the Dome Dog Podcast today. Appreciate it, Matt. Take care, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Dome Dog Podcast. Now available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Podbean, and more. Check out the YouTube page, Instagram, Twitter, and finally, the Facebook page. Facebook.com slash groups slash Dome Dog Pod. That's D-O-M-E-D-A-W-G-P-O-D.